The following audio is from Crossroads Church, a church in Lincoln, Nebraska, centered around building genuine community through authentic faith. More info can be found at lincolncrossroads.com. Everybody said, amen, amen. Well, we're, we're coming into a season, I believe. Again, we're, we're celebrating Good News Club. We're, we're talking about Family Fest. Like, I believe we're coming into a season in our church where God is, is, is kind of, and, and even talking about Acts, where God is, is highlighting some things for us. And you know what I think that is, is I really believe it, it is what we talked about in Acts chapter one, when Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses. Like, I, I want to talk about this a little bit here today, this being a witness thing. But here's the thing. I believe that being a witness is confusing and hard, and, 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 and I think sometimes we've overcomplicated some things. And I know we've talked about this a little bit, but, but if we're to look at or we're in Acts chapter 3. You can turn your Bibles there if you're ready to go. Um, but if you look at it in the broad strokes of things, right? In Acts chapter 1, what happened? Jesus said, you're going to receive power and you're going to be a witness. And then in Acts chapter 2, what happened? There was kind of this initiation of just that, this, 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 this filling, this power. And then what happened after the power shows up? Peter gets up and he became a witness, right? Now in Acts chapter 3, what we're seeing, I believe, is a practical, personal application of what Jesus said to do. Be filled with power, or be a witness and be filled with power, okay? Power to witness. And so I'm excited to see what this looks like. So um, if you got your Bibles, you can follow along with this here. If not, we should have it on the screen for you. But let's just jump right into Acts chapter 3. It says, one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth, okay, I, I got to be honest, okay, uh, confession time. Anybody ever have unholy moments while you're reading the Bible? Like, okay, so I, this thought, I've never had this thought before, but I was reading the Bible and I was reading this and, and I thought, lame from birth, that sounds like a dig that one of my kids would say to the other one, you're lame from birth. Your mom's lame from birth. Anyway, some focus, Swihart. Okay. Um, different kind of lame from birth. All right. All right. A man who could not walk since the time he was born sorry, uh, was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. You see, if, if a person was lame from birth, if a person was uh, unable to walk, especially if it was a birth defect, it was, they were in some capacity disabled at the time of birth, like here, there's a variety of things that would happen to him. One, there's not like welfare system in place then as there is today. Um, and so unless you had a family who is financially capable of, of taking care of all of your needs, you'd find yourself inevitably begging for the rest of your life. Now, in this, this very, very spiritual culture that, that this story is taking place in, there was not only the, the physical ramifications of this being lame, not being able to walk, but there was also this, this really, the, the, this thinking that said that if you were born with some kind of issues, there was a reason for it. Either your mom or your dad or both had some kind of sin issue that caused this uh, disability, 
or you either somehow sinned before you were born and therefore was born with this ailment. Or maybe even, even this, God being sovereign knew that you were going to be a sinner, so he gave you this curse before you were even born to pay for the sins that you had not yet done. And so there's a social stigma that would go along with this, even beyond the just simply begging for money. So here is this man who's hurting. Here's a man who's, who's wounded, not only in his physical body, but just emotionally taking the toll of this for his entire life. And here he is sitting at the temple gate, and he's been sitting there, it says, for his whole life, every single day. They'd come to the temple, to the, the the temple had a variety of entry, entry points, he, points. Here he is at one of those entry points. He's by this gate, and uh, he, he sits there every day. He's got somebody in his life, family members, friends, I don't know, that at least brought him here to let him beg, and there he would sit every day. And it says, when, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money, right? Just doing what he does every day. It says, then Peter looked straight at him, as did John. They're both looking right at him. And Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention. They're having this moment. He's expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I, I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and he began to walk. Then he went with the... He went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising. I love even the jumping part. Like he was just pumped. Like, let's use these legs, right? He's, he's jumping and skipping and he's dancing all over the place. And he's just praising God for what had just taken place. And it says, when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. Why? Because he's been there his whole life. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Okay, let me say this from the beginning. You know, my, my goal, my heart in this whole study of Acts is to stay as close as to the text as possible. Now here we're talking about this, this miraculous healing. So when we look at narrative, we have to understand a few things, right? We've talked a little bit about this, but, but, but one, we have to understand it for what it is. It is narrative, right? This, this passage is not like a guide for DIY miracles, right? Do these three steps and you'll have your miracle by the end of the day, right? Like that's, that's not what we're looking for. This is a narrative. We're supposed to receive it for what it is. Like, hey, this is an incredible story that took place. And here's another thing. We're supposed to look for principles that are, that are, that are in the text. And so that's what we're going to do. I do believe that God still heals miraculously, even in this way. I do believe God uses doctors to implement his healing in his time and his way. But I believe God works in the supernatural. Just be careful. Because if you read, I love it. Jesus, the apostles, like the, those who are doing miracles, the miracles are done in so many different ways that it's like impossible to say, this is how you do miracles. That's not the point of the text. I don't believe it was ever the point of Jesus. Uh, but rather, we look at this story and say, okay, what can, I, what can I see in this? What can I learn in this? And what I believe that we see in here, what I believe we see in here is, is Peter and John doing what Jesus told them to do. Peter and John living out what Jesus said was going to happen. In fact, this is kind of a two-parter. Acts chapter three is, is really one story. We see the event, and then we see what happened after the event. So next week, we'll, we'll pick up in verse 11. But for right now, I just want to look at what happened when this man was healed. 
You know, I started off by saying like, like Jesus said to be a witness. And, and when we hear that phrase, we, we so often automatically go into, I don't know the words to say, right? Like, I don't know all the theology. I'm not sure about the doctrine. I got questions about this or that, right? So, so what, I wanna, I wanna give us, what I wanna give us here a little bit is, is like, how do we prepare ourselves? How do we put ourselves in position to be a good witness? I know there's a lot of people who like prepare to share their faith like their whole life in the study of apologetics, but they never put themselves in a position where they ever actually, ever actually have to use it. What, what Peter and John were doing right here, though it wasn't just to try to leverage something, they didn't have an end goal. Their end goal was to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and follow his leading. And clearly God was saying something here about this, this man's healing and they walked in obedience but I think there's some principles here that, that are going to help us. Like, how do we live this life out? How do, how do we, what is our, like, what are the characteristics? What are the characteristics of, of a good witness? Here's what's interesting to me. As we talk about witness, and oftentimes we, we, we think about, Jesus said, you'll be, receive power and, and you'll be my witness. And we think of like, like salvation and witness, like witness is like a higher step. Like first, we all just enter into this grace thing. But listen, do you remember when Peter, when Jesus called Peter? Listen, his invitation to the life of Jesus was simultaneous with his invitation to the mission of Jesus. And I don't think anything's ever changed. Do you know what I'm talking about? Remember, he calls Peter. He says, hey, come follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. Uh, he, 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 he used his owners, although Peter had no idea, I'm sure, what he was talking about. But listen, this is, what I want, this is what I want you to hear today. Your salvation and your calling are inseparable. Your salvation and your calling are inseparable. If, if you've received the grace of God for salvation, you've received a call of God into his mission. And, and there's certain things that I, I think that we do that kind of keep us at arm's length from fully engaging in what God has called us into. But friends, I believe there's never been a better time to step into God's calling than today. God, I, I, I don't, it doesn't even matter really how you view yourself. God has a call in your life to impact other people for his kingdom. God's plan, we have to get this, God's plan for your life is not just about your life. God's plan for your life is not just about your life. And God told Peter that from day one, and I hope you've heard him say that as well to you, that, that God's gonna make you fishers of men. Okay, so now you're going like, what is this? He didn't tell anybody about Jesus yet. <laughs> this is the setup. And part of it is just like, as we learn to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, as we learn to engage in the places that God is leading us, um, opportunities begin to open. Doors begin to open. Do you ever know those people who are like, you're, they're always telling somebody about Jesus, and you're like, I don't even know if I could create that many opportunities. Anybody know anybody like that? where you're just like, man, they're just like always talking about Jesus. They're always, right? And I know people like that. You know what? That shouldn't make me go like, well, I don't have those. Like, why? It should make me go like, how does he live his life? How does she live her life to position herself to talk about Jesus so much? I want to do that. Well, let me, let me show you. Let me show you. Let Luke show you how Peter and John positioned themselves to be able to share the gospel in a meaningful and a powerful way. I think we see it in this story. All right, so let's, let's dive in here. 
I want to talk about four characteristics of a witness. There are way more than four, but here's what we see in our text today. Four characteristics of a witness. The first one is we've got to see. We've got to see. First characteristic of a witness is that we see people when others just see the need. We see people when others just see the need. I want you to notice something. It says, when he, the beggar, the lame man, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he saw them. He asked them for money. So I want you to picture this happening. So, so he's doing what he's doing. He's asking anybody that walks by for money. And then he sees Peter and John. Hey, can I have some money? And here's, what, here's how I picture it happened. He's asking everybody. He's doing his thing. Hey, can you spare, spare a few bucks? I, I just I need some help. Hey, can, can you help out a man who, who can't work? Hey, can you, can you lend a hand? He's asking them. He sees Peter and John. He asks them, and he asks them, and he asks them. He's going through his deal. He looks, and then he looks away. And it says when, this is how I know that God was moving on Peter and John in this moment, because it says, Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Listen, this is not the first time Peter and John had seen this guy before. They've walked past him many times. Get this. Jesus had probably walked past this guy many times. Side note, I don't understand why God works miraculously here but not there. I don't know. But I want to live so close to God that I hear his voice when he says, it's time that I move. Why was this man never healed by Jesus? I don't know. Why was this man never healed by Peter and John? This isn't Peter and John's first miracle. They were doing miracles while Jesus was still alive. That's just a side note. Maybe there's some of you that are waiting for your miracle. I don't know, and I'm sorry, and there's not a formula. You're not going to find it in this text. But we just walk so closely with Jesus that we listen to his voice that we're ready to respond whenever he acts. Anyway, here they're, they're walking along, and Peter and John, there's something came on them. They're like, okay, this is the, the moment, because Peter and John both looked at him. They looked intently at him. And then, I love this, Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention. Have you noticed something? Like, here's the deal. When somebody's in need, we know the drill, don't we? When somebody is in need near us, we know the drill. Don't, there's one rule. When you're around somebody who is in need, there is one critical rule. And we all know it. We all know it. Don't make eye contact. That's the rule, right? Right? We know how it goes. I know there's somebody in need right over here. But if I can do my best to not make eye contact, <laughs> why? Why? Because here, here's the deal. Like Hollywood knows this, at least Hallmark does. This is like the premise for, I don't know, about 30% of the Hallmark movies, right? There's an, there's an, exec, an exec somewhere in this, this high office who, who wants to turn a Christmas tree farm into a parking lot. And, and he's ready to go. Sure, I know he's got mouths to feed, right? But the moment that the big exec meets the tree farmer, his heart is melted, and he becomes the next Santa Claus. Um, right? Like Hollywood understands this, that, that like as long as I can keep a need, a need, because here's the reality of the world that we live in. We're, we're constantly inundated with, with need beyond our ability to meet, Right? 
And so part of it is just self-preservation. I keep a healthy level of distance between me and, and the need. I can be aware of the need all day long, but as soon as I look through the need and see a person, I know I gotta do something. And so then it's either gonna cost me or I have to be a royal jerk. We, we, we all feel it, right? And so, you know, uh, I heard, I believe, I believe I'm getting this, the person right, but I believe I heard Dr. Lawrence Chatters from the University of Nebraska say this this week, uh, essentially along these lines. He says, whenever I'm feeling down, whenever I'm feeling bad about myself, whenever I'm kind of low, he says, I always go to volunteer. I don't know about his faith or anything about his faith whatsoever, but I know that he's figured out a principle that God integrated into our human existence. And that is this, is that whenever I'm not feeling good, whenever I'm feeling down, if I can learn to see people and serve people, I get my attention off of myself, and all of a sudden there is something divine and supernatural that takes place as, as, as my entire perspective gets shifted shifted. But we're good at not seeing people, right? Here, here's one of our, 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 our best ways of insulation, right? Because the truth is, we don't want to see people. As much as we say that we do, like deep down while you're sitting in church, I want to see people. No, you don't. Because it's hard to see people, to see through that need. So what we do is we love to pass judgment, <laughs> Because if I can give, if, if I can pass judgment, things like, why don't they get a job? Right? The responsibility is not on mine, not on me anymore. We don't know their story. We don't know their situation. But if they just got a job. Hey, look, I know they're in a rough spot. But look at that person. They were in the exact same spot, but they, they got out of it. They made something of themselves. They fixed the situation. They're not crying about it. So I pass judgment. Or, or here's the, our, our personal favorite. This great, creates the greatest level of insulation between ourselves and actually seeing people is they brought it on themselves. They're an addict. They brought it on themselves. Everything that happens from then on out is not my responsibility, and I create insulation between me and them. If they'd have just made some good decisions, if they just wouldn't have done that, if they would have just done what I've done... And what we do is we create insulation between our heart and actually feeling a need and seeing a person. But here's what, what Peter and John did. They walked on, they felt the move of the Holy Spirit. Again, we listen, I get it, we cannot meet every single need that we, we, we come across. But God was moving in their heart and they were willing to look. They looked straight at him, both of them. They looked straight at him. And they said, no, look at us. Hey, 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 look here. And they didn't just see his brokenness, they saw him. The first thing, if we're gonna live as a witness, the first thing we gotta do is we gotta see people when others just see the need. We gotta be willing to see people when others just see the need. Here's the second thing we gotta do. I'm gonna come back to the same thing though, here real quick. I'm gonna come back to the same thing. This is the key, this starts the whole deal. You have to be able to do this. It starts the whole ball rolling. Okay, now that you've seen, number two, we've got to believe. We've got to believe God's best when others have given up hope. We believe God's best when others have given up 
hope. Listen to what he says. He says, I'll back it up to verse 5. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from him, as he would normally. It says, then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. That is such an awesome statement, right? That is so bold. I love it. Hey, I don't have... I, I, Silver and gold, I don't have any money in my name, but I'll give you what I have. Now, like I said, maybe God inspires you to say that to somebody who's, who's never walked and they're going to get up and walk. I believe that still happens. But I don't believe that's the only application to this. <clears throat> Let me ask this. What did he have to give? I give you, excuse me, I give you what I have. What did he have? Where did he get what he had? I'll tell you where he got what he had. He just spent the last three and a half years living side by side, day by day, in step with Jesus. And then he just received the power that the Holy Spirit gave when he came. He's walking in step with Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you something, guys. If we can learn to live in step with Jesus and with the power of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't matter how little it feels like you have right now, you will have something to give. Here's the problem. So many of us feel like we don't even have what we need for ourselves. We don't feel like we even have what we need for ourselves. And we live in a world of, of, of hurting people, of needing people. We are. I, I, I say that. That almost makes it sound like we've got it all together and everybody around us is broken. Hey, we are the family of the broken. We're all a mess. And if we're not, if we stand up and say, I'm not a mess, I've got it all together, you've got a mess so deep that you don't even know about it, right? Like, like that's, just, that's, just how, that's just how we are. We are the broken, and we, we live among people within the church who, who are hurting. You know, I mean, we could do a poll right now. Are you feeling healthy and strong today? Or are you feeling low and hurting today? And we could take that poll, and we could, we could raise our hands on which side of the spectrum, but then we could ask it again tomorrow, and it might flip-flop. We live among people that are hurting, and guess what? We live in a world that is hurting. There's, just, there's so many opportunities for, for hurt, but here's the problem. Not only do we hurt, here's the thing. We, the church, we can hurt, but we have hope, right? Even as I'm walking with Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, there's moments I might hurt. There's moments I might have need. There's moments I suffer loss, but I always have hope. But we live in a world that's hurting and without it. Friends, as, as we learn to walk in step with Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit, we will have what we need, not only for ourselves, but we, it says, what I have, I give you. What I have, I give you. What did he have? He had hope. What I have, I give you. I give you the power of Jesus to transform the situation that you are in right now. What I have, I give you. Listen, th that takes such incredible faith, doesn't it? Have you ever been in a situation, maybe you've experienced this very thing, where you were just hurting and you, you were starting to hit that point of like, I just don't know if I can keep, keep going. I, I'm starting to lose hope. Maybe you're way past starting. And somebody saw you. And they didn't just see you, but they looked at you 
And they said, don't give up because I believe that God wants to do something in you. They looked at you and they believed when you couldn't. They had faith when yours wasn't there. Friends, I've been in situations like that where I'm like, man, I, I, I'm, I'm tired, I'm worn out. I don't have the mental, emotional, and spiritual capacity right now in order to be able to see anything other than the struggle that I'm facing right now. But listen, if you and I will listen to the Holy Spirit, if you and I will walk in step with Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, it's not just about seeing the need, but it's about speaking in faith that God is going to show up not only in my life, but in the lives of the people that I care about. You see, so often we live our Christian lives exclusively for ourselves, and we forget that we've got brothers and sisters in Christ who need to know that God is going to come through for them too because they don't have enough faith to believe it themselves. See, this is one of the reasons, it's multi-layered, but this is one of the reasons that Christians should never be like lone rangers. It's why, I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but it's why this whole, like, I can be a Christian, don't have to go to the church thing is just total garbage. It's true, but the whole premise is garbage. But here's, the, here, here's kind of the caveat. Here's the kicker. We've got to be the type of people. Or we, can, we can show up to church on Sunday, but we've got to be the type of people who are willing to speak what we're believing for somebody else. We've got to be the type of people that sees a brother or sister in need or shoot a coworker or a neighbor. They don't have to be a Christian to be able to believe for somebody else and say, I believe that God wants to come through for you in this situation. Somebody that just stands with them and, and, and speaks the truth and speaks hope and speaks the confidence in, in Jesus. Amen? See, now listen, I talk about believer or unbeliever, okay? You can't have faith, like saving faith for somebody else. It doesn't work that way. I wish it did, but it doesn't work that way. At the end of the day, somebody has to come to Jesus on their own choice. But I can have faith to believe for a breakthrough. I can have faith to believe that your circumstance is going to change. I have faith to believe that the depression will break. I have faith to believe that the, that the, that the alcoholism, that the addiction, I have faith to believe that this relationship is going to be restored. I've got faith to believe that, that you're going to be used by God in the workplace that you're at. I've got faith to believe for you. Friends, let's not just try to get enough to keep our head above water, but let's walk with Jesus empowered by the Holy Spirit that we would have faith to believe for our brothers and sisters who need us to show up for them. If we want to be a witness, we've got to first, we've got to see, not just the need, we've got to see them, we've got to believe, believe God's best when others have given up hope. And the third characteristic of a, of a, a true witness, a good witness is this, is that we've got to help. We stop to help when others stop at prayer. I want, to know, I want you to notice something that happens here in this story. In verse six, um, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Catch the, the order of things stated. I think it's significant. He speaks it. He believes it. He sees him. He believes it. And then it says, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Notice it does not say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. There was something that happened first. I believe it's significant. There's something that happened first. 
And I believe James, the brother of Jesus, spoke of it very, very clearly in James chapter 2. He says this, Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical need, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. This is so good. And I think this is what we see in in Acts chapter 3 here. See, Peter and John could have seen him, looked at him with pure heart, with good intent, looked at that man there and said, man, be healed and kept walking. I don't know what would have happened. But they saw him. They believed for him. And then he reached out his hand. Friends, let's be a people that doesn't just philosophically believe in helping one another. Let's be a people who shows up. Yes, within the body of Christ, but then, again, to the unbelieving people in your world, I think sometimes Christians get a bad rap in society because, again, I'm not saying this is accurate, but sometimes the picture is this, that it's all lip service and there's no follow-through. And unfortunately, it's accurate sometimes. God bless you, brother. I'll let you walk through that by yourself. Hey, I'm praying for you. Which is usually, not always, not always, but oftentimes code for, I won't think about it again until I see you next Sunday. My, here, here a little tip on that one. If you're, if you're going to say I'm praying for you, pray for him right then. Otherwise... <laughs> Uh, it's too easy to make yourself a liar. All right, but that's another story. But we got to follow through. If we say we're a family, we got to show up. And again, this is where it becomes hard. I can't show up to every single thing. You can't show up in every single need. So we got to walk in step with Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and follow where he leads. Amen? But we got to show up. Number four, and the last one, we're going to talk about here. If we want to be a witness, we've got to, we've got to see, we've got to believe, we've got to help. And number four, we've got to celebrate. The characteristic of a, of a good witness is that we celebrate the victories when others worry about losses. We celebrate the victories when others worry about losses. Let me talk about what I mean by worry about losses. There's a, there's a variety of ways we wor- worry about losses, okay? There's sometimes we worry about losses of the past, right? We worry about losses of the past. And what tends to happen there is we complain. This didn't happen right. That didn't happen right. I've got, like, this is why this is there. And, and I complain about the losses. When my focus is on the losses of the past, I tend to complain. And when I'm complaining, it's really hard to celebrate. Have you ever tried to complain at somebody's birthday party? Nobody likes you, okay? That's just how that, the how the, that's how they go. Nobody wants a complainer at a party, right? So here's what happens. And it says, like, he stands up and he jumps up and he runs into the temple praising God. And then it says, when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the man who used to sit begging at the temple gate. They saw what God had done. And then they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. I believe that Peter and John were among those. It says he walked in with Peter and John. And when they walked in, everyone's like, isn't that the, wait, wait, that can't be, is that, is that him? And all of a sudden party breaks out in the temple. 
and they're celebrating and he, they're watching him. He's dancing and, and skipping and, and jumping and praising God and testing out those legs and everybody's blown away. Now, I don't think Peter and John were like, what? But I do think they were filled with praise and amazement. Here's the thing, when we get so stuck in yesterday's losses, there's no room for celebration because all we end up doing is complaining. But it's not just yesterday's losses that throw us off track. Tomorrow's potential losses tend to get us too. And we begin to live in fear. See, when we're stuck on tomorrow's losses, I want to make sure that doesn't happen. Or what if, what if, and, and fear and anxiety begin to overflow like like when we are complaining about yesterday's losses, there's no reason to celebrate. But when I'm afraid of tomorrow's losses, there's no joy to celebrate. Trying to force yourself to celebrate without any kind of joy whatsoever is an uphill task, isn't it? I don't feel like that. Well, you can grit your teeth and force yourself to sing happy birthday if you like. Or you can let go of the fear of the unmet expectation of tomorrow. It hasn't even happened yet, but fear. Fear completely locks our hearts off from any kind of joy and celebration. Here's another possible one, is that some of us, because of, to, 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 to work against or to fight against loss, we become so overwhelmed with pushing and work we just go, 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 go. Man, God shows up there. Okay, cool. What's the next thing? What's the next thing? What's the next thing? And we begin to live in this place of the next thing. And we're so fixated on the next thing. We're so fixated on pushing and accomplishing and going and producing that, guess what? We just don't have time to celebrate. What if Peter and John were like, hey, 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 guys, this is real cool and all, but we came to pray. So I think everybody just needs to calm down. We've got to accomplish the next task before us. Right? That would be silly. What if they're like, you know what, guys? Like, I, 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 we, we can't celebrate this. I, I, I just can't get out of my mind, like, the fact that, like, only 3,000 people were saved and not 4,000. Like, that's, uh, that, man, it's just weighing heavy on my heart. Like, we've got to learn to be people who celebrate. So let me ask you this. What if we celebrated more than we complained? What would happen to our life if we just became people that celebrated more than we complained? Well, here's, the, here's the honest truth. I'll be the first one to acknowledge this just to, so you don't feel isolated. Complaining is way easier. Right? It's also more, oddly enough, it's more socially acceptable. If you want to fit in into a particular crowd, just pick the right thing to complain about and you will find friends. But if you want to live the life of Christ of joy and fullness and hope, pick the right things to celebrate and we'll never need to be disappointed. You know, I, I think sometimes we do celebrate, but then we, we, we forget really quickly. Anybody else do that? We forget really quickly. I think the best picture in our society today is uh, Thanksgiving to Black Friday. Like, isn't, isn't that just like a, it just always gets me. Right? I used to be super cynical and like, I don't know, uh, I don't know. And I am maybe a little bit about it, but it's just funny, right? Like, God, thank you for your abundant blessing for my life. 
Amen. Guys, eat fast because I got to trample a Walmart worker in like an hour, right? Like, uh, just, it's funny, but here's the reality. We, we do that all the time. Hey, God, I'm going to check in on Sunday morning. Praise you. You're so good. We wake up Monday morning stressed out of our minds. Guys, he's still good tomorrow morning. Let's keep celebrating the victories that we have in him. What if we learned how to do this on a regular basis? What if we celebrated what God has done more than we complained about what he hasn't done? Now, here's the big thing on the celebration. I'm going to take this to the next level. Some of us just need to learn to celebrate in general for the things that we see in our life. I'm going to take it to the next step. The celebration wasn't about Peter and John. Like if we want to learn to walk in step with Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, we've got to learn to celebrate others' wins. Oh, I just had an illustration right now that pop into my head that's so raw, I don't even know if I can share it. And if, you, if you're a football fan, I'm, I just, like, I'm just, I'm just, I won't even say it. I won't even, I won't even say it. But in all seriousness, though, can I? Here's the deal. And unlike a football game, not everybody else's win is a mark on my record. For some reason, we take it like that. If you win, it means I didn't win there. Or if I already won there and you won, now it discredits my win. I see God do something in my life. Well, you do, God moves in a similar way. And what, do my, what is my knee-jerk reaction? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me tell you my story about my win too. God provided healing in your situation. I'm still praying for healing. I can't celebrate that yet. You've got freedom over your addiction. Why do I still struggle? Why does your freedom instantly take me to my struggle? Friends, we have to learn to celebrate the victories of others. Because we're the body of Christ. We're on the same team. A win for you is a win for me. We've got to learn to celebrate one another. Now here, here's where the whole thing gets really, really cool, okay? This process, see, believe, help, celebrate, it's cyclical, cir circular, okay? Because here's what I believe. I believe Peter and John were walking in, in a spirit of victory and celebration. And as such, their eyes and their hearts are full and when I'm walking in the fullness and, and, and the victory of Jesus, I have eyes to see, which gives me a heart ready to believe, which gives me a, a, a plan of action to help, which causes me to celebrate another victory, which fuels me to live in hope and victory for the next thing that God wants to do. Living in a place of celebration of the victory of what God is doing around us is the very thing that gives us the capacity to see, to believe, to help, and then to celebrate all over again. 
You know what? There's probably some of us in here, you, you, you hear this and you actually feel more like the lame man than Peter and John. Some that we've suffered loss and we're hurting. But I, I just want to remind you of something. That's just not true. We feel losses. Don't get me wrong. We feel losses. But if you've given your life to Jesus, I'm talking about those who, who've surrendered their life to God. You're, you're walking in, in, in the gift of his salvation and grace. Listen, if you've given your life to Jesus, there is a call on your life. I understand loss hurts, and I understand that setbacks happen. But friends, it is time to fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, because what is seen is also temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Because God doesn't want to just work in you, he wants to work through you. And some of us today have to change, have to make a conscious effort and say, God, I will receive the, the truth that I am a son and a daughter of yours in right standing with you. I'm covered by the, the blood of Jesus and the grace of God on my life. Though I might feel like a failure and an outcast, you've called me to be more. It's time to see beyond my own hurt, beyond my own pain, and begin to see the people that you've placed around me so that I can believe not only for my own hope, for my own strength, for my own healing, but I'd have the faith to believe that God's going to work in my brothers and sisters around me. You are not the lame man on the side of the road. You have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to bring about his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We're called to be witnesses. And we're going to get to how Peter and John leveraged the move of God for the mission of God next week. But for now, let's just put ourselves in position to give God the glory. Let's put ourselves in position to be used by him. Let's see the people around us. Let's believe big things for them. Let's, let's help. Let's lend a hand. Let's show up. Let's celebrate what God is doing. Amen? Father God, we praise you and we thank you that you are in charge of all things. You hold all things together. God, I thank you that you have not just called us to be your sons and daughters, but we've, you've called us to be ambassadors. You've called us to be your witness. You've called us uh, to be able to represent you in the midst of the need of the world. And God, maybe you want to use us for supernatural miracles. Maybe you want to use us to give somebody hope through the word of encouragement. Teach us to see, to believe, to help God and to celebrate. So we fix our eyes today on your goodness. We can't muster this up. God, we've got to see you first. And you are so good. Revive our hearts today, God. Fill us with your hope again. You are up to good things, and I thank you for using us to be ambassadors of your loving grace to this world.
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Crossroads Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Crossroads, please visit lincolncrossroads.com.